0: Welcome to the Just Solutions podcast from Free Speech TV. I'm Maeve Conran. On today's show, with the midterm elections approaching and ongoing efforts to suppress the vote, voting rights groups around the country are working hard to make sure all eligible voters can cast a ballot. Some of the voter suppression laws include expanded voter ID requirements, 34 states have some form of ID requirement at the polls. Seven states have strict photo ID laws. That means voters must present a government-issued photo ID in order to cast a regular ballot. But millions of Americans don't have this form of ID, which can be costly to obtain. These are more often than not voters of colour and marginalised voters. The group Spread the Vote is helping people obtain the identification they need to cast a ballot. Our guest today is founder and executive director of Spread the Vote, Kat Calvin, from Free Speech TV, Just Solutions. Kat, it's so great to have you with us. Thank you for being our guest on Just Solutions.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Well, before we dig into the reality of these ID laws, who is impacted and what you're doing about it, take us back to the impetus for you to get involved in this. Why did this become a project you wanted to devote your time to?
1: Sure. So, um, well, I'll take it back to 1965 <laughs> when uh, we uh, I passed the Incredible Voting Rights Act, uh, which was the... Uh, sort of capstone that in the Civil Rights Act of the Civil Rights Movement um, and made it possible for all Americans, particularly Americans of color um, and black Americans who were being prevented from voting in pretty much every state, uh, but particularly in a lot of states uh, to be able to vote. Uh, and there were a lot of provisions um, put into the Voting Rights Act that protected voting um, until about 2013. Um, and then there, was, there were several lawsuits and there have been several since I'm a very big one uh, being Shelby County beholder in 2013, which really struck a big blow to uh, the Voting Rights Act and to voting rights protections. And one of the things that we saw happen literally within a couple of hours of that decision coming from the Supreme Court was voter ID laws being passed. Uh, And from 2013 to the 2016 election, we saw a rapid growth in the number of voter ID laws that were being passed in each state, uh, and thus the number of people who were being uh, eliminated from being able to cast a ballot. And so after the 2016 presidential election, which was the first national election without the the full protection of the Voting Rights Act, uh, it was really clear to see the types of impacts that these laws were having. um, And so it seemed to me like, all right, well, we're trying lawsuits. We're trying legislation. It's really tough to get rid of voter ID laws. Maybe we can help folks get IDs. Uh, what I realized right after I did that was that we actually have a massive ID crisis in this country we need uh, people need IDs for jobs for housing for healthcare, for all sorts of things and there are over 21 million American adults who don't have that ID and so now what we do every single day is help people get the ID that they need for just their everyday lives to be able to escape homelessness to be able to pull themselves up out of poverty uh, but then also so that when an election comes they're able to cast a ballot.
0: Well, we'll talk about the kinds of government issued IDs that are being required and why it is such a burden for so many people to access them. Um, But in terms of voting, supporters of these expansion of voter ID laws, they say, well, we're all about protecting the integrity of our elections. And of course, an ID is needed to make sure that the appropriate person is casting a ballot. Now, What are your thoughts when that argument is put forward in support of these voter ID requirements?
1: Well, my thoughts are, uh, you know, every reputable study that has ever been done has shown that there is virtually no voter fraud at the polls. We just don't have people walking up to the polls and saying, my name is Joe Smith and voting when it's not who they are. It just doesn't happen. Uh, You know, uh, I live in California. It is a massive state. It is hugely populated. We do not have voter ID laws and we don't have a problem with voter fraud. Uh, So it's not a security issue. We also have just, you know, Hours and hours of tape and quotes and all sorts of things of the very people who say that publicly, privately admitting that the reason that they created voter ID laws was to stop people, particularly people from voting. So it's a disingenuous argument. And I think at this point, I'm. it's so very easy to look at really any reputable information and know that this is not about security.
0: Well, let's talk about the kind of IDs that are being required because not all IDs are accepted and this in and of itself creates barriers and then you can see the bias when we look at the list of IDs. So for the the say states, and I believe the ACLU has said seven states have very strict voter ID photo identification laws. There are many other forms of identification laws, but let's talk about the kind of voter photo ID that is accepted that uh, we'll talk about then why there are problems in accessing this. But what are some of those loads requiring people to show up with when they want to cast a ballot?
1: Sure. so it varies by state. Um, in pretty much every state, if you have a passport, if you have a valid state ID, if you have a military ID, Um, then those types of IDs are always accepted. Uh, In some states, you can use a college ID and some you can't. In Georgia, there is a specific list of the colleges they will accept an ID from. And then there are certain like HBCUs that they won't. Um, There are also uh, states where, you know, in some you may be able to use an employee ID and some you can only use an employee ID if it's um, a government employee, uh, things like that. And then there are states that say, well, you can bring you know, a utility bill. But um, our organization works with thousands of people who are unhoused and don't have an, a utility bill and don't have an ID. And that is not a reason to exclude them from being able to vote. So even the states that aren't necessarily strict actually are when you're looking at the vulnerable populations that they're keeping out.
0: Well, let's talk about that, that the impact, you know, beyond voting of people who don't have access to this When we look at those who are already so marginalized in society, to even ask them to have access to a form of ID or a utility bill is just a step too far. So so give us some examples of the folks that you have been working with that you have found to be even more marginalized now from the voting aspect of all of this because of these identification requirements. You know, who are these folks? Sure. So you know,
1: there. You know, I'll start by saying we've all been to the DMV, unfortunately, and so we all know what that takes and how difficult it is and how expensive it is. And so you know, I could talk about just a couple of folks I've worked with personally in the last couple of weeks. Um, I have a client. She's amazing. I am, she is a black woman who is deaf and was living in a tent on Skid Row in Los Angeles, which is just about the most dangerous situation you can imagine. Uh, She needed an out-of-state birth certificate. And one of the big challenges is you need a birth certificate to get an ID, but pretty much anywhere you go and ask for a birth certificate, they're going to ask for your ID. And so we have to use very complicated measures, sometimes get lawyers involved, usually a lot of money to get birth certificates. And it took us over a month to get her birth certificate uh, so that we could then get her ID, uh, which for her not only meant um, that she, you know, is able to, to vote, which And I'll talk a little bit about voting, even if states are not voter ID states, but the most important thing was she got housing immediately. Uh, And one of the things that I think we think, we don't think about when we think about people who are choosing to vote or to be civically engaged or not, is that it's really difficult to consider voting when you don't know where you're going to sleep at night, when you don't know how you're going to eat the next day or feed your children. And so even in states that don't have voter ID laws, it's difficult to tell someone, well, I know you're living in a tent on the streets and you don't know if you're going to be safe tonight, but can you think about voting? And so we have really found that helping people get that security is a big step to helping them vote. Uh, but we also work, you know, we have uh, recently a client in Texas uh, where you work in, in Dallas. Um, and one of the big populations of folks who have trouble with IDs is uh, kids who have aged out of the foster system. Sometimes they get IDs and documents, often they don't. If they do, it's usually... it to them in an envelope the second that they are released and if they lose those documents and a lot of former foster youth end up being unhoused uh end up living in situations where they don't have secure places to leave their things then they don't have them again and so we had a, a kid who aged out of the system um wanted to vote wanted a job needed a place to live didn't have his birth certificate didn't know anything about his family, you know, we had to go through a lot of different measures and costs in order to help him get his uh, birth certificate, his social social security card, and his ID so that he was able to vote and to start his life. And that's, those are really common stories. We also, you know, work a lot with veterans, which is particularly infuriating. If there's anyone in this country who should have free access to an ID, it's a veteran, but they don't. Um, And the the veterans IDs that you're thinking about, you need an ID to get, first of all, and they don't uh, do the same things that a regular ID does. And so we spend a lot of time working with unhoused veterans and seniors and just a, a lot of different groups of people who are being left out of the system and left out of democracy because they don't have an ID.
0: I mean, what you're describing, Kat, it's almost like Kafka-esque situation where to get an ID, you need an ID and you can't get an ID without an existing identification. And so people are just caught in this situation that they can't get out of. And you would imagine that government agencies and particularly ones that are supposed to be helping folks like our veterans, like those who are unhoused, would maybe be helping with this situation. But it sounds like it's Organizations like yours that are stepping in to bridge those gaps without you kind of going in and helping these folks like the kid who aged out of the foster system or, or that veteran. I mean, is there anyone else out there? Any other official agencies that you know people can turn to to get this kind of help?
1: Uh, hilariously, a lot of government agencies call us and ask us if we can help. And I say, well, I'm a girl who runs an organization from my bedroom and you're <laughs> the county, the state, the whatever, the State Department of Corrections, whatever it is. Um, You know, there isn't. We do, however, we are working to change that. So uh, our organization has a political arm called the Project ID Action Fund. um, And we actually have introduced a bill into Congress that would solve this problem by establishing a free Federal ID for all Americans, and our goal is to be like pretty much every other developed and nation, underdeveloped nation in the uh, in the world that just has a national ID that everyone has. We are the only country with this problem, and so our goal is to ensure that every American has an ID. Uh, that we get this bill bill passed. Um, You can go to id4id.org to find out more about it. Um, But we we need to make the government responsible for this uh, because there are tens of millions of Americans who are unhoused, who are unemployed, who are unable to start their lives, who can't access government services. You can't access WIC or SNAP or any government services without ID, all of the things that we create for people to be able to lift themselves up out of out of poverty, um, you know, on their own bootstraps, uh, which isn't a real thing, I am, you know, or to be able to vote in the vast majority of the country, they can't do without ID, and it's ID they can't access, we help people who haven't had ID for 10, 20, 30 years, because they haven't been able to get out of the cycle to figure out how to get a birth certificate to pay for it, to do all the things they need to do. And that's, you know, that's a lifetime, that's decades that are just lost. This is a problem that we can solve and that we have to solve. It's also a problem that shouldn't exist in the first place. So we are working very hard to both help people on the ground every single day because they need help now, but also to change policy so that this isn't a problem anymore.
0: It would seem that if the government is requiring an ID for so many of these issues, whether it's voting or to access services, they would In turn provide that necessary identification. This is what that bill is hoping to bridge that gap. So what kind of political support or even opposition are you getting given the fact that a lot of these voter ID requirements, these laws are really not about identification, it's really about suppressing the vote. So what kind of political impetus is there or indeed barriers are in place to this type of legislation?
1: You know, the amazing thing is that this is a bill uh, that is focused on helping folks get ID that impacts uh, people with issues that everybody across the aisle, you know really feels we have to work on unemployment, homelessness, recidivism, criminal justice, uh, you know, a lot of different issues. And so we're really able to talk to people and say, hey, whatever state you represent, whatever district you represent, you have folks who need jobs, who need housing, who need medical care, who need medications, but are uninsured. And they can't get that without IDs. You have veterans you care about, who need help, who need IDs in order to be able to be housed and get jobs. Um, And you can really talk to folks. And so we're very lucky. This um, bill in the house is being uh, co-sponsored by Rep. Sean Paxton and Rep. Uh, Corey Bush. Uh, we have a lot of other um, members who have come on um, and supported it. And it's really because uh, they understand that this is a problem that isn't just a problem for the most vulnerable Americans who can't get IDs. It's a problem for all of us. We're all impacted by high unemployment. We're all impacted by high homelessness. We're all impacted. Look, we just went through a global pandemic. We now know more than ever how much taking care of each other's health impacts our own health. And so making sure that people have what they need to be able to access healthcare is critical because COVID doesn't care what side of the aisle you sit on, right? Monkeypox doesn't care. And so... Uh, You know, this is an issue that impacts so many different groups on so many different levels, uh, that there is really something for everybody. If you care about foster kids, if you care about seniors, if you care about veterans, whoever you care about, they're being impacted by a lack of ID. And, And this is a common sense bill that can solve that problem.
0: You're listening to the Just Solutions podcast from Free Speech TV. I'm Maeve Conran. Our guest today is Kat Calvin, founder and executive director of Spread the Vote. They're working to help people get the identification they need to vote. 77% of the people they work with have never voted before. You can find out more about their work at spreadthevote.org. And you can find out more about us and watch past episodes of Just Solutions at freespeech.org. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Well, Kat, the name of the organisation is Spread the Vote. So we've been talking about the need to have identification for so many other aspects Of our lives. But when it comes to voting, tell us about the work that you have been doing and what happened in 2016 and how did some of these voter ID laws impact voters? Sure. Well,
1: you know, when you look at the fact that there are over 21 million eligible voters in this country who don't have ID, then when a vast majority of states and in 2016, I think we were at 21 states that had voter ID laws, we're now at 35. So it has grown like crazy. Uh, Then what you see is that, you know, there are there are people in every single state who are unable to vote. You know, we know that in Wisconsin, for instance, there are over 200,000 registered voters who are do not have the ID that they need to vote. It's similar in Virginia. That is the case in every state uh, that we have any numbers for. And we, you know, we know there are just hundreds of thousands, if not millions, depending on the state that you live in, of people who are registered to vote, but they don't have the ID they need to vote, which means that there are people who actually took that step and tend to be able to go to the polls and then we'll show up uh, or we'll try to vote by mail because now a lot of states are requiring id to even vote by mail and they won't have the thing that they need and so it's it's you know it's a poll tax there's really no way around it ids are not free they're difficult to get even in the few states that offer a you know free voter ID. Uh, you have to know about it. You have to find the county clerk or wherever in your state you can get it and apply for it. In many of those states, you have to show a burdensome amount of documentation. It's a poll tax. And uh, so it's, it's in my opinion, unconstitutional, but also what, it, what it's doing is it's preventing those millions of people from voting. And our most vulnerable populations are the people who need to vote the most. They are the people who are most impacted by the decisions that the government makes. They're most impacted by decisions on public education, healthcare, climate change, you know, you name it. And so they should be voting the most and yet um, they are being systematically kept from voting and voter ID laws are a very big part of that.
0: And if you imagine in a rural area that, Mm -hmm. you know, the distance that you would have to potentially travel to get to a site, maybe the DMV, maybe something else, to actually, acquire this idea, even if you had the resources to do it. I mean, you're looking at transit issues, you're looking at trying to get childcare and just the, the actual cost and maybe taking time off work or if you're a carer, it just becomes too much. And as you said, these are often the most marginalized folks already. In terms of the types of government IDs, we we touched on this a little bit earlier and you mentioned that, you know, in some places, in some states, college IDs are accepted, but not all colleges, that there's a direct uh, suppression of the vote, say, from HBCUs. And I know that Native American voters have had issues because of the kind of address requirements and some of the identification that very often, especially folks on reservations, might have a a PO box number and a non-traditional, say, address form, that that in and of itself won't then be accepted. And so you can then start to see how it's baked in to the system to deliberately exclude certain demographics from voting. I mean, I mean, talk about that, the actual forms of ID that are being requested or required, rather, or even accepted. Like in some places you can, you can bring a gun permit, but you can't bring, you know, another form of ID. So, so that even the types of IDs are in and of themselves very telling of, of the systemic sort of barriers that this is creating. That's
1: true. I mean, with the gun license thing, you had, you need an ID to get a gun license. So if you have one, you probably have the other. But there are, you know, uh, in Tennessee, you can vote if you are faculty or staff with a college ID, but not if you're a student with the same college ID, right? And so there are very specific ways uh, that universities are, are that states are, are choosing to exclude folks in Wisconsin. They made a lot of rules about what an ID had to have on it and most university and college IDs didn't have that. So now some colleges and universities, the ones that were sort of better funded or that were larger, were able to make the switch and change the type of ID. Some of them, like students can go and they can request a specific ID that would qualify for voting. And some colleges just weren't able to do it at all. Um, And, you know, there's, of course, there's a, big movement to prevent student voting because students uh, you know are radical and really people in power on both sides probably don't want young people voting and so uh you know what they what they really do and you can see it in exactly what you're saying the types of ids that are allowed um and not just that but the way that folks are educated about ids we have people all of the time who you know get in touch with us and say i need an id to vote and we say okay well do you have, you know, XXX ID? And they'll say, oh, I have a driver's license. Well, they are fine. But they hear voter ID and they think they need something special. And there have been studies done showing that there are hundreds of thousands of people who have the ID that they need to vote who still don't because they think it must be something different. And voting is confusing enough in America. You add one more thing and it just throws people on a, off on a loop. Um, and so, yeah, you know, they really look at you know for instance you can use a passport everywhere partially because that's a federal id but also there's a class differential often in who has passports and who don't passports are expensive they are wildly expensive um they take a lot of time to get they take a lot of time to renew you have to really want it i um, and so it really is a case of i uh, of looking at what are the id that. Most people have but probably not the most vulnerable folks or the folks who we think might vote radically or might vote differently than people in power want them to vote. And then let's figure out how we can exclude those people.
0: Well, let's talk about the work that you're doing, Spread the Vote. Which states are you in and how are you connecting with these folks, given that they're already marginalized, maybe aren't, you know, aware of your organization? How do you go out and find them and help them And, and what states are you in? Sure. So we're in 17 states. Uh, I will get it wrong
1: if I try to list them, but you can go to spreadthevote.org slash states and see what states we're in. Uh, the way we operate uh, is a few ways. We have staff on the ground, volunteers, and we work with hundreds of partners around the country. And what we do is uh, everyone who works with us works in the community that they live in. Um, And we are, you know, we sort of show up regularly at places where the types of demographics of folks who we serve are being served by others. So we may go to a shelter once a week or a food bank or go inside of jails um, or work with organizations that uh, work with um, folk, people with disabilities. That's a huge group of folks who have challenges getting IDs uh, or with foster youth, et cetera. Um, and then we connect. Uh, both with folks in the community directly through that. We also work with a lot of case managers and social workers. Really, we try to partner with uh, folks who are serving the same groups because, you know, the way we see it, we're a very small piece of the pie of what it takes to help people change their lives. But you can't really do anything without our piece of the pie so maybe we're more of a key i'll think through my analogies but what you know we want to do is help folks get that id and then help them be able to access housing and employment and healthcare and all of the other things that they need and we know that there are organizations that are helping uh, folks with those other things, but can't help them get the idea they need to access it. So the more that we can partner with local community organizations, uh, you know, with clinics, with really anybody who is, is serving the same population, the more we can work together on serving and those folks then know where to find us. You know, when we get, at this point, you know, we've been around long enough that we get calls and texts and, and, People reach out to us on Twitter sort of all day. Um, You know, people email us. We constantly have people getting in touch with us now and case managers getting in touch with us and people recommending their friends and saying, hey, you... My friend, you know, John said you helped him get an ID. Can you help me? So there's a lot of word of mouth now as well. But we also make sure that we are out in the ground of the community. We don't have offices because we don't want to ask people to come to us. We make it a point to go out to them and be in the community and be on the streets and be there where people are so that we
0: can connect with them and help them get what they need. Well, in the last couple of moments that we have, Kat, how can people, particularly if people are in states who don't have some of these, you know, very strict photo ID laws and maybe are a bit complacent in not understanding the impact Um, not just the vote itself but really you know broader society you know what can people do particularly as I said in states maybe that are not dealing with this how can they support your efforts or just find out what's happening maybe in their state and and support efforts there.
1: Yep so uh, you can always if you'd like to volunteer with us in a state where we are you can go to spreadthevote.org and get in touch or donate or find a way to, to uh, work with us. However, the ID issue is a crisis in every single state. And so you can go to ID4ID.org and get involved in trying to help us pass this bill and establish a free federal ID. We need you to you know, call your member of Congress and tweet and write letters to the editors and do all sorts of things. We have, you know, all sorts of resources on the website. But even if you live in a state that doesn't have voter ID laws, you don't live in a state that has 100% voter turnout. Nobody does. Minnesota has been winning on turnout for years and even they're not at 100%. So there is a lot of work that needs to be done in every single state to make sure that people can vote. And I guarantee you in your state, the most vulnerable people are not voting. So there's a lot of work to do there. And you can get in touch with local organizations uh, that are either serving the vulnerable populations or that are doing voter outreach um in any way and work on helping get your state to 100 percent um but you also have an id crisis in your state regardless of what state you live in and so you can help us end that in your state and across the country uh, by helping us pass a free federal id
0: well cal it has been so great to have you with thank you so much for being our guest on just solutions today thank you so much for having me Kat Calvin is the founder and executive director of Spread the Vote. You can find out more about their work at the website spreadthevote.org. You've been listening to the Just Solutions podcast from Free Speech TV. Find out more about us and watch past episodes at freespeech.org. Join the conversation on social media. Let us know your thoughts and drop us a comment. Hashtag Just Solutions at free speech. And don't forget subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. For the Just Solutions podcast, I'm Maeve Conran.